Hey friends, before we get into this episode, I wanted to offer a quick disclaimer. I just wanted to let you know that this story that we will be sharing today does include some pretty heavy details of sexual assault that may not be appropriate for kids or younger audiences. So if you are concerned about young ears hearing this, you may want to postpone your listening to a better time. All right, here's the episode. Hello, this is Corey Widmer, pastor of Third Church, and really grateful that you're listening to our Third Church podcast. Uh, This January 2019, we have a dedicated preaching series called How People Change, in which we are focusing on the power of God to bring change in the lives of ordinary people. And we're doing something a little different this month, that to accompany our sermon series, we are releasing each week a podcast to accompany the sermon that tells the story of one person on our congregation who has experienced personal change. We realize that there's only so much that you can do in and through um, the the taught uh, lesson or sermon from the pulpit, and we're really hoping that by listening to actual stories of real change in the lives of people, rather than just hearing about the concepts of change, will really deepen our understanding of how um, God wants to bring about change in all of our lives. So I'm really excited to welcome our first storyteller today, and that's my friend Stephen Jenkins. Uh, Stephen's been here at Third for a while. Many of you know him, um, and Stephen is excited to be with you. Hi, Stephen. How you doing? How you doing, Corey? I'm doing all right. So glad you're here to, today. Um, so I'm just going to turn it over to you, Stephen, and would love t- uh, for you to tell us a little bit about your story of change. Corey, thank you very much for the opportunity. I really want to thank Third and the leadership here um, for giving me an opportunity to share what God's done in my life. Um, and I don't, I, I want to explain what happened, what I feel happened, um, what it was like, and what God has done to change my life. Um, first, all, I just want to thank God. Um, I thank God for community. Um, my personal uh, story of transformation centers around uh, my sexual brokenness. Um, and I don't know um, that people realize the struggle or um, I don't know that I've made it aware. I, I love this community. And one of the things that has uh, weighed on my heart is that I have not been honest with the people who love me. And I think a lot of that has to do with fear and shame. Um, But I feel that in this season of my life, God has called me to share, which really isn't my story. It's the story of God's grace in my life. So I first want to put a disclaimer out there that I am not a uh, therapist or a psychologist. um, And I do not um, profess to have a um, uh, a reason for everybody. This is my personal story, and I love the scripture that says that we overcame by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony, and I would be wrong not to share my story. Um, but my uh, same-sex attraction, um, for as long as I've been born, um, I sort of um, have struggled. Uh, I've been aware of this, or I was made aware of it. I first want to say that um, I don't believe that I was born this way. I um, believe I live in a broken world. I believe that um, as a consequence of sin, that everything is not the way it should be. (laughs) 
Um, but I need to say for a long time, I blamed God. Hmm. Um, there was some confusion in that. Um, but I believe that um, because of sin, um, we all struggle in different ways. I think that my sexual attraction was intensified by some things in my life. Um, I'm one of seven children born into a home uh, that was just really, really crowded, and there wasn't any father. Uh, the early images I have of my dad are of this distant figure sitting on the sofa and a longing within me for acknowledgement and bonding, um, which I realize now he was unable to give. And I think that that created a space for the enemy to work in my life. I, I know that it created a fascination in me with men uh, because I didn't get that uh, bonding and for my dad. Um, and the only childhood memory I have of my dad taking a tremendous interest or even showing interest is that I have four older sisters, two older brothers, one younger brother. But there's a moment where I am playing with my sister's dolls and my dad flies into a fit of rage. And uh, I must have been about three. And from a child's vantage point, I look up and I see my mom and my dad arguing. My mother's defending me. My father is, uh, you know, enraged. No son of mine is going to play with this. And I have no concept of what's going on other than the fact that there are toys here. Um, but I realized today that something inside of me says, so is this how I get your interest? Um, this is what I have to do. And as a child, I just wanted attention, whether it was positive or negative, I just wanted his attention. Um, my parents shortly thereafter divorced and not having a dad in the home um, really left us vulnerable in many ways, emotionally, physically, spiritually. Um, the great thing about that period is God enters in. My mother gave her life, rededicated her life to Christ and God moved in my home in a very real way. This is all before I was five years old, which this is, is... Which part of the country were you living in? I was born and raised in New York City, in a very uh, busy metropolis, in a crowded home, which on some level explains why I take in data and stuff so fast. Uh, Richmond has really slowed me down, and I'm attempting to slow down even more, but um, it was just very busy, and one had to take in information. Um, um, but God moved into the house, and I remember giving my heart to the Lord at Family Devotion at five years old, um, the big white Bible. And uh, my mother was explaining why Jesus had to go to the cross. And I remember weeping and my little lip quivering and my mother stopping and leading me to Christ. And uh, God has brought me back to that before because I've struggled. Where did, you know, when did I give my heart to Lord? And I believe that that's when God revealed himself to me. Um, and we've gone back to that. But with no father living in New York in a crowded home and this um, intensifying quiz inquisitiveness towards the same sex, uh, by then, people were calling me names, you know, you're this, you're that. My mother would try her best to protect me. Um, and because I wasn't a, a guy who played with footballs and balls and dirt and stuff like that, I got teased a lot. Um, uh, around the same time, uh, by the time I was 12 years old, um, I was sexually molested. And uh, that's really... Um, 
that was really traumatic in a lot of ways. But I needed to say that all of my struggles and inquisitiveness up until then, I've learned that uh, temptation's not sin. Um, sin is when you act upon something. <laughs> Uh, so even with my identity issues, I remember at 10 years old, my mother called me into the bedroom and I imagined that someone at school, one of the guidance counselors had told her that they thought that I was having some issues with identity. And she sat me down, one of the greatest gifts she's ever given me other than leading me to Christ, was she looked at me and she says that I know that you're going to be different from all your siblings and I want you to know that we're going to always love you mm. and that I love you. Um, and that was just, I don't even know. And she told me later on, she really didn't mean it, <laughs> <laughs> which is amazing. I mean, my mother was a, uh, I went, grew up in a Pentecostal church. She was fundamental. My mother believed that certain issues were black and white. But what she had to decide at this point was that she wanted a well-adjusted son who was loved mm. versus a principal that was going to make me. So in later years. Beautiful. It was a gift. I love her. In latter years, she says, well, I really didn't want you to go off, but I knew that for you to feel bad and unvalued about yourself was going to cause more harm. Um, but internally, I struggled with figuring out my place um, and how do I be authentically me. And I do believe that I've spent most of my life not necessarily being me, but being who I thought people wanted me to be and what would give me acceptance. I've always wanted acceptance. Um, I, I love the quote, it says, I'm not who you think I am, and I'm not who I think I am. I'm who you think I am. <laughs> and that can get confusing after a long while. Um, school, uh, teasing, being teased and bullied around or whatever, and just trying to make my way. Um, at 12 years old, I went to uh, camp, and a camp counselor befriended me. Um, and took interest in me and was actually just a really wonderful guy. And I just, other than uh, what he goes on to do, but just a wonderful person. It was someone who saw value in me, took interest in me. And I, I look back on this episode and I often wish that he hadn't. I often wish that this had been some um, act of assault um, that I could dis put into like a broken brone or something like that. But the idea that this person sort of groomed me, befriended me and won my trust over, um, and then one day chose to take me somewhere and, and uh, uh, sodomize me. And um, I, it's, it's interesting because I can, I can, it's a tender place. I can go back there and I can visually see what was going on or whatever. And I say to God, where were you? You know, I've been told of this God who loves me dearly, who will never leave me, has a great plan for my life. And I'm saying, okay, so no dead. <laughs> That's one strike against you. The internal confusion that I'm going through right now as a child. And then you allow someone to assault me. Um, I realized today that um, bad people do bad things and we live in a broken world and that God is not responsible um, for the actions of people, that we have a certain amount of freedom down here. Um, and I realized as I get older that God was there. <laughs> he was there. I didn't run to him. I ran away from him. And for a long time, I've assigned a lot of bad things in my life to God. God gets blamed for a lot, <laughs> you know, but he gets credit for nothing. <laughs> 
Um, and that was wrong. But I see God's grace even in that incident because I got accepted to boarding school. And it was the acceptance to boarding school that removed me from this person. I also need to say that this person was an Episcopal priest. Um, African-American, he was African, but he was an Episcopal priest. So what it did for me, not only disturb sex and love, but it messed up God too. It really uh, did. And I mean, I think, I think the enemy knew that. I think that there's been a lot of effort gone in to sort of shut me up. <laughs> I think God has always had a purpose for my life. I'd like to realize that purpose, and I think that there have been some roadblocks in my life um, that have attempted to thwart that, and it's only the grace of God and community that's helped me uh, get past that. Um, I need to say that the, the greatest obstacle to overcome has been the absence of a father. Um, I think um, being black, being poor, um, even my personal struggles um, do not outweigh... 40 years that it's taken me to come to terms with not having a dad and someone to sort of, it really uh, obscured my relationship with God. And uh, God has done, he's done a great work through my vocation and through the people in my life to get around that, but I wish that on nobody. I and mean, I think kids wanna feel protected and loved and safe. And I realize now, and I just have to say to my dad, I love it, my dad's deceased now, I love him dearly. Um, he didn't have it. <laughs> Um, he didn't have it, he couldn't give it. He couldn't give it. He couldn't give it. You know, I often say I wish I had a dad, but my early memories of my father at three and two years old, as I see him sitting on the sofa, he was gone. He was physically there, but emotionally he was gone. Okay. Um, seven kids by the time he was 32 years old. And I'm grateful for the time I've had with him. Uh, when he passed, I was able to, with the help of counselors and other good Christian people, um, to work through some of my father issues. Um, so what happened after you moved on to boarding school and beyond after that? that what boarding school did, well, someone said, uh, hurt people hurt people. So I would dare say that I was sort of off to the races because when this had happened to me, I had been, I, I think part of my thought was that that was my value and that that's how I r related to people. And my teen, early teen years were spent acting out. And I just need to say it was also fueled by an anger um, uh, at the world, um, at this person. Um, and I thank God I was able to get away from that person, but I turned it in. I also need to say that um, parents need to be very aware of their children because I came home that day and my mother didn't notice something was different with me. I understand today that I had a responsibility to say something, but I didn't. And for five or six years, I thought she knew and didn't care. Now, I, parents tell kids that they know everything. <laughs> and, uh, and I thought she was God. I thought she did know everything. And I realized that in the midst of raising eight kids, she couldn't have known everything. And I should have said anything, something, but I didn't. Um, I'm out of the house. I go to boarding school. I'm in an environment that's I'm the only black. Uh, male at this school, and I'm trying to survive. And you turn it internally, um, have very low self-esteem. People would often say that I'm, you know, Stephen has great self-esteem and that he's narcissistic, and, you know, I won't deny any of that. <laughs> but um, I had a real low value that was covered up by this over-exaggeration of self. 
Um, and on a good day today, I can still struggle with those instances. What happened? What happened was I spent years having it my way. God's always been gracious to me. And there was a period of time where um, I used to tell everybody I was lucky. And I remember God saying to me, God has spoken to me. We communicate. I don't hear voices. Um, that I wasn't lucky, that I was called, that I was blessed, that he had a purpose for my life. And that we, he was going to use my life, that I would ultimately surrender um, to him. Um, I, I believe love pursued me. I believe those years of me acting out what I thought. I, I remember telling my mother, if God has a problem with me, tell him to leave me alone because I'm not tracking him, he's tracking me. But like the great song that says, oh love that will not let you go, God pursued me um, and won me over um, with his love. Through people, I need to say something, there were people all along the way who knew that I was struggling in different ways um, and who extended love to me and acceptance um, without judgment. Um, I often say that the way to get a bone away from a dog is to offer him a steak. And sometimes that steak is community. Sometimes that steak is the cross. Sometimes that steak is the lack of judgment. Because only God can change the heart of people. Um, I got to the point where uh, having my way was empty and, and miserable. Um, I, I've been there. I've um, had long-term relationships. You know, I believe it's Augustine who says that our hearts are made for God and we'll be restless until. And so I know to some degree what I'm talking about from a vantage point of not a wanting, but having been there. Right. Um, having had everything I thought I wanted and realizing that it was nothing. Um, the grace of God is that when you raise your hand and yell, uncle, God is right there. Um, God was right there. I went, to, I went to Bible school and got just enough Bible to be dangerous. <laughs> so if you're looking for any. Yeah. <laughs> um, and didn't find my answers there either. Uh, didn't find my answers necessarily in hiding. Um, I've come to understand that God has made me the way, uniquely the way I am. And that if I'm willing to be vulnerable and authentic, then God can use me for his glory. Um, I have not been, I don't want to use the, I have not been fixed. <laughs> I think my disgust with uh, Bible school is I went to Bible school looking for God to wave the magic wand. Yeah. And I so wanted yeah. <laughs> uh, to be normal, <laughs> whatever normal looked like. Um, but that was not for me. I think of Paul where he says, I prayed three times. I think I prayed 30, 40 times. Yeah. I just thought it would be easier on me. It would be easier on the people around me. I was actually advised in school to uh, get a wife. And, and she'll fix you. And keep a seat. Yeah. Women, we know how that yeah. works. <laughs> uh, it doesn't. It doesn't work out. And it wasn't to the... It wasn't until I accepted, um, and I think a real turning point was God said, how can two walk together unless they agree? And I had to call my dysfunction what God calls it. 
Um, and I did. I wasn't willing to do that. I was willing to call it this, that, and the other thing. And God was saying, no, we have to call it what it is. It's sin, and all sin is sin. I believe that God's intention for men and women is marriage. Um, I believe that today. And with that, um, my call has to be celibacy. Um, and that's not easy. And I need to say that community, society, and church sometimes doesn't make that easy. But um, I've chosen to honor God in that way because I haven't had a clear understanding that I'm allowed to do um, and live my life um, any way I want to. And the grace of God enables me to do that most of the time. I have to watch what I eat, watch what I, when I say eat, I have to watch the stimuli yeah. that I put in. Um, I certainly couldn't do this alone. Um, but coming to Richmond and having community and choosing a few people, I think often the big reveal is that there isn't any big reveal here. <laughs> if there's a question, the question is, how do I do it? How do I maintain? Um, and I've maintained by um, not doing things that incite this. Um, I don't know that there's a cure, and I necessarily don't want to be cured. Um, what I want is I want the grace and the peace to live my life. You know, Jesus was supposedly the most perfect man who ever lived, and he was not married. So this idea that one needs to have physical stimuli or interaction in order to be completely whole, I debunk. Um, I, laughter and children and my brothers in Christ who walk with me. Um, I get a... Um, I get a fulfillment from my relationships with people that I don't think I ever got um, the other way. Um, I also, my vocation, I've spent the last 13 years working with people at the end of their lives, and it has transformed me. Um, they've actually all been my dads, mm -hmm. which has just been amazing because God took a gift and hid it in my brokenness. Right. Um, and today I'm able to offer that to people. Um, the reason why I wanted to do this um, and I think part of it is what I wanted to first uh, share and let people know that uh, you're not alone. I'm aware of people. Um, people make themselves aware sometimes of people who struggle, men, women. And, and it just doesn't have to be sexual brokenness. It's whatever yeah. it is. You know, I think of church should be like the island of misfit toys. Yeah. <laughs> it's where all of those pieces that don't fit. Um, and we're not broken. We're all broken. Uh, and God wants to put us back together again. Uh, that's the missing piece. But I am somewhat concerned and alarmed um, by this big push to tell people to go live anyway, um, when I know that it'll only lead to meaningless and misery. And I often say, you can change the label on the poison bottle. It's still poison. And I want to offer my story um, as hope hmm. to anybody. So, how how have you how have you experienced healing from what was done to you in that specifically in that situation of abuse? I mean, how have you come to know um, personal healing? How have you come to know forgiveness? I mean, that's the kind of thing that can really destroy a person's life and eat someone out from the inside. Um, can you say a little bit about whether it be through through mm -hmm. help of therapy or friendship or God's personal work in your life? Are there ways that you've experienced healing from that? Thank you. That horrible experience. Um, 
The first thing I had to do, and I realized this, is I had to get angry. Yeah. <laughs> I refused to get angry. I refused to call what had happened wrong. And I need to say that um, my unforgiveness, my anger, unforgiveness uh, started with my dad. I, I thought I hated my dad, and I really loved my dad. And um, God spoke to my heart and said, um, you have to forgive him. And that was probably the most powerful moment of my life because here's the man I thought had scarred me the greatest and now I was being asked to forgive him. And uh, I had a therapist once who asked me, what did I do with people who harmed me? And I said, I had a little place in my heart where I kept them all locked up. Mm. And that I occasionally went there and tormented them mm. and then locked the key and left. And to her astonishment, she looked at me and she says, you got to let them go. Mm. And I said, I can't. And she said, don't say can't, say won't. Mm. But what I want you to know is you're locked in there too. Mm. And your freedom comes with letting them out. The other thing I realize is Christians should be the most forgiving people on the planet. And I have to say, um, I've done some things that I can't make right. I've harmed people. And having been harmed doesn't let me off the hook. Right. And I am hoping when I stand before Christ that because of his sacrifice, I have forgiveness. I don't think you can. I think you can know that. Not just no, hope well, for I, that. Well, I know that. <laughs> I know that. What I realize I have to do is I have to offer it. Hmm. And God says, you have to want for people today what you want for you. And that was a turning point. And as far as the person who um, molested me, um, when I was 18, 19 years old, I was, I was toxic. I was just, I was angry. And I wanted, I needed to know that it wasn't my fault. And I went on this little crusade to find this person who was still practicing in a church somewhere. Um, and I uh, was fortunate enough to run into somebody or connect with somebody who would hear my story. They validated my story and they put me in touch. And I told this person that I needed them to admit that it wasn't my fault. Um, and to this person's credit, I need to say that they were willing to ask me for my forgiveness. I was a 12-year-old little boy, but what that did was I let them go into the mercy of God. And I tell you, Corey, um, my story isn't unique. There are a lot of people who have suffered great. Um, but I needed to let this person go so that God could deal with them. Um, and I would hope that this person can find forgiveness, that they would repent, um, and, 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 and know the forgiveness that I know today in Christ. Um, because I just know that if they don't, then they're going to have to deal with the judgment of God. But I can say today that I keep very short accounts. Mm -hmm. um, um, I think, you know, it, it was Christmas time. We're recording this around Christmas time. And God sent us a gift. And that gift was a sacrifice, and it was forgiveness. And God knew what we needed. We needed to be forgiven. And he's allowed a way for that um, to happen. Um, 
Well, thank you, brother. Um, I know that telling your story as honestly as you did is a huge risk and takes a lot of courage and is a gift to us, your friends and your community. Um, and will be a way for other people to find hope and healing and forgiveness in their own stories. So I, res I respect you uh, for allowing me to space. Um, I think the most courageous thing I do is to allow myself to be seen for who I am. I, I need to say I don't walk in shame. I don't walk in guilt. Um, I, you know, I love uh, the scripture that says, and such were some of you. Mm. Um, I, I do this to point to the power of the cross and the living Christ, both through his spirit and through his community, to change lives. I think nothing points more to the cross. I've heard it said, and I'll wrap this up with that, is um, I still have my scars. <laughs> and I'll bear the scars, but that's okay, because a uh, little girl was asked once, is there anything man-made in heaven? And she said, yeah. And she said, no, there is. And she said, yes, the scars in his hands. They were made by us. And I bear the scars of what was done for me, but the pain has been miraculously listed by the cross. Mm -hmm. And that miracle of freedom and hope is still available today to anyone who seeks out uh, the risen Savior. Uh, we're the only ones with an empty tomb. You mm -hmm. can't find a body of Jesus. So I thank you. I thank Third. I thank Third for loving me for the last 10 years. It hasn't always been easy. <laughs> hey man, that's what it is, but, way it is in well, the family. Well, you're <laughs> stuck with me for the next... <laughs> and you with but, me. But, what a great community. Thank you, Corey. Yeah. Thank you, Third. And thank you, my brothers and sisters in Christ. Well, thank you, Stephen. And thank you for listening. Um, we hope that you will tune in next week for another story of change. Thanks so much.